turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Woo! It's Friday night. Good evening and welcome to the Andrea K Show. While I fit those demographics and that description, my name is Wendy Patrick. I am a good friend of Andrea's and I'm going to be guesting tonight. I am also, by the way, the host of a show that airs at the same time tomorrow night live with Dr. Wendy. I am an attorney, patriot, and PhD with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. So let's dive right into the evening stories. First, sports are back. However, these are not the same sports you probably remember growing up. In fact, sports opening games this week have looked markedly different than we remember. I mean, remember those summer times, sitting in the stands, singing, take me out to the ball game, smashing peanuts under our seats, doing all the sorts of things that made sports that haven, that break from politics, Well, no longer. Sports are truly a good old-fashioned American pastime as of this week. Now, what did we see when we had the opening games this time? Well, first of all, if you were watching, you were not watching from the stands. You were watching from the comfort of your own home, probably thinking that you were going to take a little bit of a break from COVID-19. But depending on which game you watched, one of the first things you probably saw was Dr. Fauci completely decked out, taking the mound to throw the first pitch. Yes, I'm talking about the same Dr. Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Now, he was the headline yesterday, and not because he gave another coronavirus briefing. He was the most famous person, probably at least briefly on the field before Thursday night's opening game between the New York Yankees and the Washington Nationals. He has made no secret of his baseball fandom, especially for the Washington Nationals. So maybe it's not a surprise that he was picked to throw out the first pitch of the delayed season. And by the way, what a pitch it was. If you haven't seen it, you got to go to YouTube and see this pitch. Good thing he's not on the team. But he took, the, he took the field, he was wearing a Nats jersey, he was wearing a cap, and he really tossed a wild one. Now, I'm sure he'd like a do-over, but he would probably also make the joke that there were at least nobody in the stands, no fans to see it live. But God bless him, he's probably been advised since then not to quit his day job. But some of you might argue with that analysis too, because although he wore a mask for the pitch like he is supposed to, 
He was photographed and videotaped not wearing one later in the stands, which, of course, was another headline all over social media. So he sort of stole the show from the baseball game, I guess. And by the way, he does say he was dehydrated. So just to give you both sides, that was his excuse. However, that particular game made headlines for another reason as well. Every player and coach from the Washington Nationals and the Yankees kneeled ahead of that game. It was something to behold if you watch that footage. And it was a big surprise to many people. They expected sports to start to take everybody's mind off of politics and protests and COVID-19 and all the things that have really cast a cloud over the summertime thus far. But instead, it was more of a racial dialogue, the dialogue about racial injustice. It made its way onto the field, and many people were surprised when they actually thought that that was going to be the politics-free zone that they grew up with. Now, that game, that they weren't alone. There were players from other teams that took a knee as well. In fact, most members of the San Francisco Giants took a knee during a moment of silence prior to an opening game against the Los Angeles Dodgers, except for one man. San Francisco Giants pitcher Sam Coonrod was the only player to stand during a moment that honored the Black Lives Matter movement ahead of the opener. And by the way, why? He was very transparent about his faith. He explained to reporters after the game that as a Christian, he can't kneel before anything besides God. Now, the president weighed in as well. And, you know, the president, he is also scheduled to toss a pitch uh, in August. Now, I, I hope he has better aim than Dr. Fauci. But he had something to say about the old-fashioned pastime that he watched as well. He basically said what you might expect, that he wants players to stand for the flag. He wants them to stand during the national anthem. He's also going to, by the way, be throwing a pitch at a Yankees game. Uh, and had something to say about what he saw on the field as well. So he's actually threatening not to participate. You know, he may go back and forth on this if players don't start standing for the game. And by the way, just in case you were wondering, the team manager respected Coonrod's decision to stand. This is mirroring the same kind of debate that we remember seeing on the sporting field back in the Colin Kaepernick days. In fact, back then, he was the outlier taking a knee. And back then, there was this really divisive debate about whether or not sports and the sporting field should be a place for politics or whether it should be a place to play ball. And that's the kind of thing we're seeing discussed today. But the pendulum clearly has swung. In fact, one of the things that the team manager, Gabe Kapler, said is the one thing that we said we're going to let people do, i.e. the players, is express themselves. And that means if Coonrod wants to stand to express his Christian faith and his allegiance to God, that is being respected as well. Players are having choices, and we've seen those choices taking place in real time. Now, it seems like yesterday, for those of you that remember how far we've come from 2017. Remember October 8th, 2017, when Mike Pence walked out of a game after having flown across the country. He basically took a stand when players took a knee. Now, I suppose if everybody walked out like Pence did, 
it would have an impact on that game. But we can't say that nowadays because there are no fans in the stands. But the point remains the same. It is very important that maybe, depending on what side you're on, we decide whether or not sports is going to remain about the game or whether sports is going to be about politics. Coaches, by the way, they've really switched it up here as well. Remember back in the day, 2017, it seems like so long ago, they were basically saying we want our players to stand. Now, of course, there is a newfound respect for people being able to both play ball and play politics is the way the argument goes. So we'll have to see what the president decides to do, because remember, August 15th, where he is scheduled to throw the first pitch at that Yankees game, that's going to be here before you know it. And what everybody's going to be watching between now and then is whether or not players decide to make these games more about the games. All right. Now, I suppose we're also going to be watching to make sure they don't get sick and they stay healthy because, of course, having Dr. Fauci on there tonight uh, or last night, I should say, also refocused us on the fact that it is still dangerous. They won't be live. We're still going to be watching and there's still a lot to talk about. All right. So that is sort of a a preview of what your summer holds for you. Um, We hope you stay with us. We've got a great guest coming up after this first break. Again, you're listening to The Andrea K Show. My name is Wendy Patrick. I'm filling in tonight. We will be back in just a few minutes. Stay with us. Be sure to follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea K Show. And follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K. Spelled K-A-Y-E. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Good evening and welcome back to the Andrea Kay Show. I am Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend, Andrea Kay. Well, we were just talking about baseball, the all-American pastime. And I'm going to get into that a, a little bit more with my next guest. I'm delighted to be joined by James Hershen. James, like me, is a lawyer. Uh, He's also an M.A. in media psychology. How do you like that? Boy, who would have thought that would become as popular as it is today? Uh, He's also a New York Times bestselling author. He's an international business lawyer, a news analyst, cultural commentator. And I also learned he was the keyboardist for The Temptations. My goodness. Is there anything you don't do, James? James Hershen. Dot com is where you can find out more about him. But James, welcome to the show. Oh, great to be with you, Wendy. It's uh, I love it. Um, you know, I'm I just like you, just just trying to deal with with life, uh, wearing five masks and looking like a Muslim <laughs> woman all the time. It's really hard. Well, James, I got to tell you. So the the question is not whether you should wear a mask, but what is a mask? Is it a is it a bandana? Is it one of those Curad blue masks? Is it an N95, N99, or is it one of those shields with goggles that we see people wearing it in Trader Joe's? I, I'm not really sure. What, what which one do you wear, by the way, when you go out? If it's you know, actually, I ordered from Etsy. Uh, somebody handmade these really cool, very sheer masks. They look opaque, but they, you can breathe real easy because I don't believe in it. You know, I mean, but I see people wearing those surgical masks. A uh, physician friend of mine said, you know, when you wear the regular cotton surgical mask, 
the virus is like a mosquito, and the surgical mask is like a cyclone fence. Oh, boy. You kind of see the viruses, you know, happily diving right through those masks. Um, you know, I just, I think what we have uh, with with the virus is something that has been used and exaggerated. Uh, the perfect example is the closing of the schools. You know, uh, there, a statistic that always floors people is that if we add up all the school children under 18 in California, it amounts to actually 9 million kids. And during the entire COVID pandemic, do you know how many of those 9 million kids have tragically passed away because of COVID-19? I think I know what Zero. you're going to tell me. What's the statistic? Zero. 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 I knew that's what you were going to say. And, you know, um, and yet during this period, a lot, of, a lot of children have died from the flu. And we've never shut down schools over the flu. And yet we have all not only shutting down the public schools, but all private schools. Um, we, and we have this kind of thing happening in every uh, state where there's a blue state governor. Some, some uh, red states as well. Uh, we, and we have the unions, the teachers unions out there saying, making demands. They say, keep the schools closed and also defund the police, abolish charter schools, raise the minimum wage. Wait a second, wait a second. What, is the, what do these things have to do with the children? Well, you know, that's it. Uh, teachers unions don't exist for, for the children anymore. Well, you bring up a really good point. You know, I was um, talking in the first half about, uh, you know, how there's going to be no fans in the stands when sporting events are being played. You bring up the excellent point about whether or not it's safe to bring kids back to school. By the way, as of today, more and more pediatricians were weighing in saying there has to be some sort of a hybrid solution. But you also mentioned something else I know you've been following as well, is one place you don't see any kind of social distancing is at these protests, which have been going on now, it seems like the entire summer. And I know you've been following this and you have some thoughts on the propriety of this as well. How can we say, well, of course, the kids aren't allowed to come back because they can't put the desks far enough away from each other. But we have a protest going on almost every night. And not all of these protests are peaceful, are they? Oh, my goodness. I mean, they've morphed into rioting. And we're looking at criminals and terrorists, essentially. And the big debate about the protest. Well, first of all, you mentioned the hypocrisy. The media showed that their coverage of the whole COVID-19 thing was a sham because they were appalled, just disgusted with these people who came out. If you remember before the protests, there were smaller protests of people like beauticians and barbers and small restaurant owners and just uh, ordinary Americans who felt like their freedoms were being infringed with. That wanted to open their businesses. I remember those days. Yeah, and the media said it was irresponsible for those people to come out and gather in large groups and some of them didn't wear masks. But when the protesters came out to burn, to loot, to destroy, to beat on people, uh, the media, the same media said, 
they're just expressing their First Amendment rights. And they're, quote, peaceful protesters. I'll tell you, you know, uh, with what we've seen, and thank God for the social media, for these independent journalists like Andy NGO, I think it's pronounced, you know, I, uh, out there in Portland, we we have seen Anna Kaylee McEnany today playing these videos. Oh, that we footage today. What, wow. Yeah, we know what's going on, you know, and it's lawlessness. It's chaos. It's anarchy. And, you know, James, it's also not fair to the peaceful protesters. So many people want to express their First Amendment rights. They have an opinion. They're appropriately masked and gloved and socially distanced as best you can during those crowded protests. But it's almost like the looters, the rioters, they've hijacked the peaceful protest to make a point. And that footage that was shown during the White House briefing today, wow, that really brought it home that not everybody out there is, is there to protest peacefully. No, none of them now, because if you wanted to protest peacefully, you might notice that the vast majority of people are carrying sharpened PVC pipes, umbrellas with almost swords at the end, are carrying bats, are dressed in black like ninjas. And and once they start, they, they start attacking innocent people who are driving by. They attack the stores. They attack the courthouses, the police uh, union building. And, of course, they have various items to set things on fire, including Molotov cocktails. Um, if you're Why is there such a resistance protester, into going out and enforcing law and order? No, I mean, if you were a peaceful protester, you'd run from that yeah. kind of crowd. Yeah, you bet. So it's it's long left peaceful protests. And as you know, you're a prosecutor. You prosecute people who aid and abet crime, enablers, accessories. And now these mayors, the mayor of Portland, the mayor of Seattle, the mayor of Chicago and others, mayor of New York, and these governors, uh, Governor Newsom, Governor Inslee, Governor Brown of Oregon, Um, These people are equally culpable because what they did there, they have a duty to their constituents. And one of the fundamental duties they have is to keep them safe, is to protect them. And instead of protecting them, they ordered the police to stay out of it. They ordered the police not to fulfill their duty and do their job. And they left these people to fend for themselves, many of whom were innocent, unarmed people who were surrounded by mobs, beaten, to in, some in critical condition, some died. It's tragic. And, it's so tragic. Yeah. J- James, it, where does it, it go from really here? Where, where do we go from here? We've seen it go from peaceful protests to people that legitimately wanted to just go out and express themselves to what it's morphed into, as you've just described. What's next? How do we bring back some semblance of normalcy, of law and order, of a place where people can peacefully protest? And are we really going to be seeing this throughout the rest of the summer? Oh, I think undoubtedly, because it's an election year and this is definitely orchestrated. But President Trump has done the right thing. When you have, as you do in Portland, uh, federal buildings being attacked, federal monuments being torn down, the federal courthouse, uh, the attempt to put it down, break into it, to damage it, to cover it with graffiti. 
that invokes federal jurisdiction. So he sent out federal law enforcement to make arrests. And and the more those arrests occur, um, I think the less we'll see of the kind of, um, you know, flagrant violence and the less the anarchy. But it's it's going to move around. It's not going to go away because it's, it's and as a matter of fact, we have a tradition in America called the October Surprise. And you know that that is usually a political party comes up with something like opposition research. We know that the Democrat Party is willing to pull stunts that will harm the country, harm the economy, harm people. They are willing to do it. They've shown it. So I shudder to think what the October surprise is going to be. I shudder to think. Well, I'll tell you, our hearts and prayers are with those cities that are suffering, the small businesses that waited all this time just to reopen and have since been looted and burned. I mean, can you imagine? And just the the populace in general. I mean, people that have been out of work, they've been anxious, tensions are high. They're like dry tinder waiting to spark some of these people. And it's just so tragic to see these kinds of things happen. You know, we can only hope that these will become more and more peaceful. Um, James, uh, where do people go to learn a little bit more about you besides CNN, Fox News, and all the other uh, places that you routinely make appearances? I'm very active on the social media, particularly uh, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Facebook's under my name, James Herson, H-I-R-S-E-N. Twitter, I'm the Jim Jams. Oh, wow. And I okay, have so- a website um, called jamesherson.com, H-I-R-S-E-N. And just like you, I have a column um, usually once a week at newsmax.com. That's right. James and I are both Newsmax contributors. And don't forget, you are talking to the ex-keyboardist of The Temptations. That is fantastic, James. All right. Thank you so much for joining the show. We really appreciate it. All right. Oh, Please stay pleasure. with us. You're listening to The Andrea K Show. My name is Wendy Patrick filling in for Andrea K. We will be back after the break. Want more Andrea K? Follow her on Twitter at Andrea K Show. And like her Facebook fan page at Andrea K. Spelled K-A-Y-E. You're listening to somebody who tells it like it is. Andrea Kay on The Answer San Diego. Good evening and welcome back to The Andrea Kay Show. My name is Wendy Patrick. I am filling in for the dynamite in a dress good friend of mine, Andrea Kay. Welcome back to the second half of the show. Well, so we've gone from sports to protests to schools. I am delighted to be joined by Bob Walters, who is our official education contributor here on the Andrea K Show. He's also the author of Facing Reality in American Education. And I'm really glad that he's here because we're already talking about going back to school, although it's not quite going to look like the going back to school we remember growing up. Is that fair to the kids? Is it fun for the kids? Is it even healthy for the kids? Now, hopefully we're going to have all those questions answered. Welcome, Bob. Thanks. Good to be here. 
Thank you, Bob. Well, we are just dying to hear what you have to say on this topic, because I don't know about the rest of our listeners, but I feel like the authorities have just been going back and forth on this the entire summer. First, it was virtual just till May. Then it was just till June. Then we were all coming back in the fall. Then we weren't coming back. Now it's hybrid. And then as of today, (laughs) we're hearing more from physicians saying, well, wait a minute. The kids are not really the age group that get COVID, but what happens if they pick it up and they bring it back to mom and dad or grandpa and grandma? Uh, What's the latest statistics-wise as to what we're going to do in the fall here, Bob? Well, uh, one thing that's kind of interesting is a few different points. There's a Dr. Jim McGuire at the University of Wisconsin who did a study of 3,200 students, high school students, in Wisconsin. And they found out in the study they did that 65% reported anxiety symptoms with 25% suffering moderate or even severe anxiety, uh, which they they did not have before. But being out of school for one semester, maybe another semester, is wreaking a certain amount of uh, depression with these kids, particularly the the athletic kids in their programs. But it's it's a major factor. At the same time, there was a study done by USA Today that says that 60% of parents surveyed said they would likely choose at-home learning this fall rather than send their kids to school, even if it opened for redirect uh, classes. They, they're balking at it because they're fearful that they might catch the disease or they have to be this separation, which I think is going to be disruptive on them along with wearing masks sitting in the school for six, seven hours a day. Well, Bob, those two studies are very interesting to talk about in combination. So on the one hand, we we all know, I mean, this is probably common sense, that kids need socialization and to take them out of that environment and they miss their friends. Remember what it was like to be a teen or a preteen. I mean, we as adults, we forget that how important a peer group is at that precious young age. So already we can't simply say, oh, but there's Zoom, there's texting. It's just not the same. But I am particularly, uh, my interest is piqued by that second study because don't we have friends and colleagues that are basically saying, look, I'm being forced to telework and I'm being forced to homeschool. I cannot keep all those balls in the air. How are those parents that are doing double duty round the clock, raising kids, homeschooling kids, and then somehow doing their regular job remotely, how are they going to survive this? I agree. I think it's uh, a bit alarming when I saw that, but I thought I'd throw it into the discussion because it shows the extremes to which our population today in this environment is uh, torn between what should be done or not be done. In fact, in some of the states, Missouri, the governor just insisted that all the schools must go back to school, even though they may get the disease. Well, and, that's a- and, and that's an interesting point, because that goes back, Bob, to what you and I were talking about earlier. I understand the Florida's teachers union as well. They were filing suit, actually, to keep those schools closed. Florida, of yeah, course, being the, the, the new hotspot. <laughs> yeah. But what, when you think about why parents would be concerned, we really can't blame them. I mean, sure, we understand that kids seem to have a natural immunity for whatever reason. They don't get as sick if they get it at all. But if they do bring it home to mom and dad, grandpa and granddad, uh, grandma, what what then? And why wouldn't that be a factor if it is, if it is, maybe it already is. Are they supposedly, according to these studies, less contagious when they get it? Is that the reason? Well, there's two schools of thought. One says it, it's true. Another there one always says is, false. isn't there? <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Flip a coin. That's right. That's, That's part right. of the chaos that lies in the system right now, regrettably. But 
I think it'll, it'll be half and half as we move into this semester, and hopefully by the end of this latest uh, turn, that the kids will actually get back to school before the end of the year and finish their last semester of the, of the year. You know, really Bob, here's, a, here's kind of a factor that I think plays into all of this that I know is on our minds, especially as we watch some of the violence going on in downtown areas from the um, peaceful protesters who have been invaded by rioters, looters. We, we worry about this type, this type of thing. You know, it also brings up this topic of dangerous kids, and we worry about kids having the access to the help that they need. Sometimes troubled kids need pro-social solutions. And if, in fact, as that first study you mentioned, they're being anxious. They are feeling isolated. They are maybe ruminating on negative emotions, nursing grievances, all the kinds of things we worry about. How will another semester at home, another semester where they don't have the access, maybe they otherwise would, to somebody noticing them acting out, giving them help, maybe having access to mental health support, how will that impact kids who sadly are already troubled? I think it's not a good sign at all, aside from not learning anything to speak of by doing remote learning or not even opening up the computer uh, for the semester, which is about 20, 30 percent of the kids don't even don't even look at the computer when they do remote learning. How do you actually uh, enforce that? These kids. I agree. You know, how do you enforce that? I know that, you know, my night job is teaching college and there's the, you know, you have to, kids have to keep their cameras on. We don't even call them kids, the students, because we have all ages. How do students actually abide by that or or maybe a better question is how do schools enforce remote learning from so far away i mean is it left up to the parents who are probably multitasking teleworking at the same time how do they then make sure that the kids are learning if it's all done remotely well regrettably what's happened in most of the schools is they forgive the kids that 20 30 percent of them don't even open the computer don't respond to the test don't do anything. And the excuse the schools give, and I haven't really found any serious exceptions, is that, well, the kids are going through a lot of stress and, and, and troubles and chaos, so we can't look at their grades. We can't hold them responsible if they didn't open the computer or do well on the tests that we gave them. And yet that's a shame because it just <laughs> it camouflages the decline that's going on in, the, in society with these young people. Yeah. And, you know, um, we're going to sort of tease it up for after the break. I'm going to ask you about the curriculum differences that we are seeing now when schools are going remote. Um, but before we'll just we'll just sort of leave that out there as a tease cliffhanger, yeah. if you will. But just procedure wise, you know, you, you talk about being in a classroom and getting to talk to other kids and making friends and the types of things that meant the world to us at that age. I mean, do you remember that? That was like so important. Not the peers still aren't important. But when you're just becoming a teenager, talk about a time that this is going to be disrupted. Do you happen to know, Bob, are there any plans to sort of uh, in- infiltrate these, these, uh, these, this curriculum with social activities? How are we going to actually make sure they get some recess time along with what we're trying to teach them? Well, in terms of remote learning, that's really just left to the parents is what they might do to let the kids do something or give them some guidance as a break. In school, when they are face-to-face, from what I've read, 
there is plans to still have your recess and and your uh, other times where you can have uh, some recreation. Aside and I've seen the plexiglass. It really doesn't look like the recess, if they no. even still use that word that we remember. All right, well, we are going to get into some more specifics after the break in terms of what are they learning. So please stay with us. You are listening to The Andrea K Show. My name is Wendy Patrick. I'm filling in for Andrea K. Stick with us. We'll be back in a flash. Be sure to follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea K Show. And follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K. Spelled K-A-Y-E. Whatever you call her, she's on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to the Andrea K Show. My name is Wendy Patrick. I am filling in for my good friend, AK. And we are still here with Bob Walters, who is our official education contributor and the author of Facing Reality in American Education. So, Bob, I teased this up before the break. We talked about procedure and how do kids learn? How do parents multitask? Cameras on or off? How do they take tests? How do they make friends when they're at home with their parents. But most of all, and of paramount concern to many parents, what are they learning? Yeah, that's a big issue because uh, you've got some real serious things going on that uh, would give parents doubt about public schools. There was a new uh, union leader elected in L.A. school district. She's a member of the Black Lives uh, Matter organization. And she she won with 5,300 votes out of 31,000 eligible union members. That just tells you wow. moderates are laying out and back and not really taking an active role here. When she got elected, Melina Abdullah, who leads the Black Lives Matter chapter in L.A., called her a comrade. Sounds like a, sounds like a, a communist phrase to me as you're speaking to each other. <laughs> She's going to establish Black Lives Matter in Schools Week as annual observance, and she's going to push for mandatory uh, ethnic studies, which is, in fact, a law just about to be passed in Sacramento. So that's going to be one of the key ingredients of the new school studies in the future. Now, you know, because we're in an election year, I also understand that uh, candidate Joe Biden has been sounding off about what he would like to see included in the curriculum as well. Oh, yeah. He was speaking at a at a Muslim gathering, and he uh, said that it's time for the Islam religion to be broadcast and taught in the schools, all of them, so that uh, students have an appreciation and understanding of the Muslim religion, I, it's, which in itself sounds nice, acceptable, ex- unless you realize that Christianity is forbidden to be discussed in school totally. And yeah, that's a big problem. Islam that's- taught in the schools. It's hard to figure out how they're going to justify that. You know, I I think you and I both grew up in an era where we had math and we had history and we had homeroom and science. I mean, we had wholesome subjects. Nowadays, they have, you know, technology and, you know, all sorts of studies, psychology. Now, that's all very interesting. But when you make the point that you just did, if you're going to teach one religion, you should share the wealth and teach other religions as well. I know that one of the other statistics that you have is the fact that 20,000 private religious schools in the U.S., I guess that's the statistic now, but what about tax credits, vouchers? How would that work with this new homeschooling with the new curriculum? Well, there is, a, there is a growth in that field. There's 20,000 religious schools in, Cal- in the United States. 
and they're doing good education when they can be open. One of the problems you got, though, is that uh, these uh, states are just now beginning to offer vouchers or school credit. The school credit is a pretty good program. It means if, if this kid isn't going to public school, they'll give the parents the money, 10000 15000 for a semester that they would have been spending in the public school to teach that kid. And then the parents can decide what private school they want to go to. That's pretty good. But that's yeah. What, what about the parents new. that can't afford the private schools, though? Well, that's that's the reason this money offer has got some merit to it. But yeah. the, the real effort is to get school vouchers. And some of the states have gone for it, like Oklahoma. The problem with vouchers is, as they expand that and give it to parents, a school voucher where they can have state money to go and choose the schools they want, there's fear, and there's been some evidence of it, that there'll be state regulation union dominance going into these private schools and charter schools as well. So the curriculum and, you know, I, study outline will be matching what they want to do in the public schools. That was exactly what I was going to ask you is, is the money tied to the curriculum? And I know that there are so many parents across the nation that have their own ideas about what they would like their kids to be learning. And sometimes they are just absolutely shocked and amazed when the kids come home from school what they've learned. So now that the kids will be home in school, how will they, if they will, will they have any more, I suppose, oversight, but that's only like literal oversight, looking over their, their children's shoulder. Will they have any control over this type of curriculum if in fact they are being used, if they're using vouchers to pay for the education because they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it? Well, when they do education uh, remotely, there's very not there's not very much in terms of curriculum that you could criticize because there's very little being taught in reality. The total time at school averages two to two and a half hours when they're doing remote teaching, which really uh, brings it down to the nub. But uh, so uh, the parents, a lot of them who are afraid to take their kids back into public schools when they do open, is fearful that they won't learn the right stuff and that if they could just find how to do homeschooling themselves, they might give it a try more than they have so far. Or look for private schools and charter schools to go into. There's a huge you know, waiting list for minorities I know there's a, charter schools. Oh, absolutely. And I know a lot of our listeners are probably listening to this and thinking, what is actually involved in homeschooling? And, you know, we need something done, ask a busy person. So even people that are busy teleworking, they still care so deeply about what their children are learning. And if they thought they could juggle it, they would probably jump at the chance to offer homeschooling. I mean, what sort of resources are there for parents that might be listening that would love to be able to figure out how they can teach wholesome curriculum to their kids instead of navigate through what sounds like is a minefield uh, that may be involved in online teaching. And even given that, there's not even that many hours available. What might they do to see how maybe they can do it better themselves? Well, there is a homeschooling association, and they've done pretty well for the million or two kids that are being homeschooled, aside from the huge surge that's going on now. What's that's a lot that of kids. They have, they have videos that they can let the kids see and study in math and history and other things that the parents can charter into. And, and without having to go to the public school feed, they get it from the association classes put on by these various patriotic groups and organizations. Yeah, and, and you know, I know that a lot of parents are – they're interested in learning more about that. Um, you yeah. know, one of the other one of the other things I think is um, the time commitment. If there's only so many hours of classroom teaching 
offer to begin with, the homeschooling program, it sounds like could actually offer kids a, a wider range, not only of subjects, but also more time learning. Isn't that right? It's true. And in fact, uh, so far as uh, recreation and doing things socially, the Homeschool Association collects all the kids like in Southern California or any other area, and they have social events and they have sports events that they put on with the kids who are in a homeschooling program at their homes. Oh, that is such wonderful news that, you know, because you're right. That is one of the things that that we miss. I mean, when we think about being in grade school and high school, we don't just think about classroom learning. It's about the football field. It's about the quad and socializing with friends and the after school events and sports and trying out for teams. You know, I I made the joke earlier. We had math and history and science. Remember, we also had (laughs) P.E. Remember that? I mean, what do kids do nowadays for P.E.? Tell me more about this program that's available where kids actually can well, socialize during sports. And listeners can look under uh, on the web for Homeschool Association, and there's a variety of options that are shown there by these private groups and patriotic organizations for your benefit of your kids if you want to homeschool and how you can mesh it in with the others that are doing homeschooling in their neighborhood. And I want to pick up on something you said. You called them patriotic organizations. Does that mean that kids are learning history in schools again now? Yes, they are. That's one of the key things that some of these organizations are are busy putting out the web page that teaches history and constitution and, and that line of education, which they're not getting in the public schools. No. Yeah, no, that's a blessing. And, you know, I mean, we remember that growing up. We remember learning about history. And I know that parents and kids are still interested in that. In fact, that's probably one of the things that has bipartisan support, that history is important. Uh, I know there's different ideas as to what statues we leave up and down and all the rest of that, which was the topic of a whole other (laughs) segment. But history itself, what's the saying? If we don't learn from it, we're destined to repeat it. So I'm glad to hear that there actually are these options. And they also sound, Bob, like they are doable options as well. And that's probably the the silver lining to this whole story, because busy parents want an option that they can actually take advantage of, even if they are still working. So, Bob, I got to leave it there. But I want to thank you so much for joining the show again. Bob Walters, he's our education contributor. He's the author of Facing Reality in American Education. Do you want to shout out a website real fast before I let you go? R. Walters at Freight. F-R-E-I-G-H-T, management abbreviated, M-G-M-T dot com. And I'll forward anything you ask me to do. Excellent. Bob, thank you so much for, for just this great information. Optimistic, inspiring, encouraging. Thank you for joining the show. Thanks you have been me. listening to the Andrea K Show. Thank you so much for spending a, a Friday night with us tonight. Uh, My name is Wendy Patrick. I've been filling in for AK, who will be back in action next week. But I want to thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and God bless you.